Hello and welcome back to Worst Church Ever, the world's worst Christian podcast. We're the worst because we don't believe in saying we're the best or saying that we're necessarily even very good. We're the worst to some people because we believe pesky, liberal, progressive things like comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Saying we believe those things, saying we believe in doing those things is easier, of course, than actually doing them. But the fact that we're the worst doesn't recuse us from having to try. But here's the thing. It turns out that affliction is all over the place. It turns out that we, many of us anyway, cling to whatever comfort we can scrape together. It turns out that our brains find some sort of comfort in revisiting, recreating, and reproducing our afflictions. In the last episode, I mentioned the book The Body Keeps the Score, and I highly recommend it. It turns out that the body of writings we call scripture also keeps the score. The patriarchs and matriarchs, they all kept the score. And so far, through, cha through, through 19 chapters of Genesis, they simply cannot stop reproducing their trauma. Abraham traffics Sarah to the Egyptian pharaoh. Sarah traffics her Egyptian slave to Abraham. Abraham's nephew, Lot, tries to traffic his daughters to the men of Sodom. And in today's reading, taken from the end of Genesis 19, it's clear that Lot's daughters have also kept the score. But first, a look at Lot's own trauma. As we talked about in episode 12, Lot was a resident alien in Sodom. And when two new strangers find protection under Lot's roof, a xenophobic mob attempt a gang rape. Seeking to protect these visitors, who are angels of one kind or another, hypervalued quote-unquote men in any case, Lot offers his daughter to the mobs instead, his daughters to the mobs instead. The mob refuses Lot's daughters and then promises Lot that because he, a foreigner, has dared to judge their actions, they will subject him to even greater humiliation, even greater abuse than they're intending for his visitors. Now the angels blind the mob and they eventually lead Lot and his wife and the daughters out of Sodom. The angels explicitly command Lot to flee to the mountains, but Lot says, quote, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Picking up in verse 21, quote, He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. Now this is the angel speaking, by the way. Back to the text. Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. That's a parenthetical at the end. Now, Zoar apparently means small, so this might simply be an explanation of why a certain town is named a certain thing. I want to say Zoar was also the name of the falcon avatar of the sorceress in Masters of the Universe. I could be wrong about that. Let me know. Now, when Lot and his family give the angels the all-clear, Yahweh commits genocide. That might not be how we're used to thinking about this story, but that's what's happening. This is Nagasaki and Hiroshima. This is the firebombing of Tokyo or Dresden. And why does it happen? Because Yahweh's feely-wheelies are all bent out of shape. The people of the cities of the plain are wicked, so they deserve to die. Every single one of them. 
You'd think a deity powerful enough to nuke a city, I don't see Ball or Anubis doing this kind of thing, would eventually have to be, what, a bit more surgical in his, always his, attacks. I guess if you believe that this story really describes the nature and actions of God, it's easy not to care about the collateral damage of drone strikes or the fate of migrant children. It's easy to go all in soon on the conquest of Canaan, on Aeneas's conquest of Italy, or something like Amer American Manifest Destiny. Anyway, God levels the city and kills everyone in it. Now, I say God, but remember, specifically, the text says Yahweh. The angels warn Lot's family not to look back. You can never look back. But Lot's wife wants one more glimpse of the deadhead sticker on her Cadillac. Or maybe, like the rest of us, she has a very hard time resisting the urge, the need, to recreate her trauma. What trauma? Maybe the trauma of an attempted home invasion, or the trauma of terroristic threats against her husband. Maybe the trauma that comes from being a stranger in a strange land. Maybe the trauma that comes from watching your husband try to hand over your daughters to be raped and most likely killed. Maybe she looked back out of compulsion. Maybe she was just trying to see where it all went so wrong. She looks back in trauma and mourning, and Yahweh kills her. What a guy. Back to the text. This picks up in verse 30. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave in the mountains. Okay. Now, didn't Lot just say to the angels, No, I don't want to go live in the mountains. Let me live in Zoar. It's a small enough town, don't you think? What's going on here? Well, I would suggest that Lot is having a hard time, surprise, surprise, not recreating his own trauma. And here he's trying, I guess, to stop that cycle. What do I mean? Well, perhaps Zoar was a small town, but maybe it wasn't small enough, or maybe it was too small. In any case, we don't have any textual evidence as to why Lot decided he couldn't live in Zoar anymore. But if the people of Zoar are anything like the people of Sodom, that is to say, if they're anything like most people, they don't take well to foreigners, do they? I wonder if in the city of Zoar, Lot, even on a smaller scale, experience the same kind of prejudices and the same kind of xenophobia that seem to be so common in the other cities of the plain, specifically Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot and the girls retreat to the mountains where the angels told them to go all along. One day, while the family's down at Fraggle Rock, the older daughter says to the younger, and now I'm quoting from verse 31, our father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night, I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. 
The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites today. End of text. End of chapter. This has always been a problematic passage because of the incest. And there are, of course, plenty of people who feel that that's mitigated a little bit by the fact that Lot seemed to have no idea of what was going on. As far as this business of saving the family line and so on, the thing that the daughters seem to be concerned with, yes, that was of incredible cultural, social, and economic importance in the ancient Near East. Yes, it was a matter of survival. Yes, we are likely seeing an allusion to Leverite marriage, more on that in a future episode, being read back into this text. But here's the important thing. If it's true that Lot's daughters got him drunk, if it's true that Lot had no idea what he was doing, what we're seeing here is rape. So what really happened? Well, we have no way of knowing. We have no way of knowing if there really was a Lot. We have no way of knowing if some redactor took an earlier tradition of Lot abusing his daughters and thought, well, I should probably tone this down a bit and make the patriarch look better. Or perhaps the story always went this way. What we know is what we have, a story in which two daughters who had been offered by their father to an angry mob to be raped have now raped that father. They have kept the score. Perhaps the repetition of narrative motifs in scripture and in other texts is not simply a matter of reinterpreting existing traditions. Perhaps these writers were more sophisticated than we often give them credit for. In any case, it's clear that these families are not so different from our own, repeating their own traumas and perpetuating their cycles of abuse. Thank you for joining us today. Please consider subscribing via your platform of choice. A few housekeeping notes. This podcast now has a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash worstchurchever. If you use Facebook, please give us a follow or a like over there, and please consider supporting the podcast through anchor.fm slash worstchurchever. Worst Church Ever is available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Breaker, and more. Yesterday, we became available on Stitcher, though a few episodes seem to be missing there. We're also listed on many podcast directories, including Podchaser. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a positive review. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk again very soon. Bye for now.